Chapter Two of Red Gauntlet by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter Two. Had our friend Alexander Fairford known the consequences of his son's abrupt retreat from the court which are mentioned in the end of the last chapter it might have accomplished the prediction of the lively old judge and driven him utterly distracted as it was he was miserable enough his son had risen ten degrees higher in his estimation than ever by his display of juridical talents which seemed to assure him that the applause of the judges and professors of the law which in his estimation was worth that of all mankind besides authorized to the fullest extent the advantageous estimate which even his parental partiality had been induced to form of allan's powers on the other hand he felt that he was himself a little humbled from a disguise which he had practised towards this son of his hopes and wishes the truth was that on the morning of this eventful day mr alexander fairford had received from his correspondent and friend provost crosby of dumfries a letter of the following tenor dear sir your respected favour of twenty-fifth ultimo per favour of mr darcy latimer reached me in safety and i showed to the young gentleman such attention as he was pleased to accept of the object of my present writing is twofold first the council are of opinion that you should now begin to stir in the thirthledge cause and they think they will be able from evidence noviter repertum to enable you to amend your condescendence upon the use and want of the burg touching the grana invecta et elata so you will please consider yourself as authorized to speak to mr pest and lay before him the papers which you will receive by the coach the council think that a fee of two guineas may be sufficient on this occasion as mr pest had three for drawing the original condescendence i take the opportunity of adding that there has been a great riot among the solway fishermen who have destroyed in a masterful manner the stake nets set up near the mouth of this river and have besides attacked the house of quaker geddes one of the principal partners of the tide net fishing company and done a great deal of damage am sorry to add young mr latimer was in the fray and has not since been heard of murder is spoke of but that may be a word of course as the young gentleman has behaved rather oddly while in these parts as in declining to dine with me more than once and going about the country with strolling fiddlers and such like i rather hope that his present absence is only occasioned by a frolic but as his servant has been making inquiries of me 
respecting his master i thought it best to acquaint you in course of post i have only to add that our sheriff has taken a precognition and committed one or two of the rioters if i can be useful in this matter either by advertising for mr latimer as missing publishing a reward or otherwise i will obey your respected instructions being your most obedient to command william crosby when mr fairford received this letter and had read it to an end his first idea was to communicate it to his son that an express might be instantly dispatched or a king's messenger sent with proper authority to search after his late guest the habits of the fishers were rude as he well knew though not absolutely sanguinary or ferocious and there had been instances of their transporting persons who had interfered in their smuggling trade to the isle of man and elsewhere and keeping them under restraint for many weeks on this account mr fairford was naturally led to feel anxiety concerning the fate of his late inmate and at a less interesting moment would certainly have set out himself or licensed his son to go in pursuit of his friend but alas he was both a father and an agent in the one capacity he looked on his son as dearer to him than all the world besides in the other the lawsuit which he conducted was to him like an infant to its nurse and the cause of poor peter peebles against plainstains was he saw adjourned perhaps seen die should this document reach the hands of his son the mutual and enthusiastical affection betwixt the young men was well known to him and he concluded that if the precarious state of latimer were made known to allan fairford it would render him not only unwilling but totally unfit to discharge the duty of the day to which the old gentleman attached such ideas of importance on mature reflection therefore he resolved though not without some feelings of compunction to delay communicating to his son the disagreeable intelligence which he had received until the business of the day should be ended the delay he persuaded himself could be of little consequence to darcy latimer whose folly he dared to say had led him into some scrape which would meet an appropriate punishment in some accidental restraint which would be thus prolonged for only a few hours longer besides he would have time to speak to the sheriff of the county perhaps to the king's advocate and set about the matter in a regular manner or as he termed it as summing up the duties of a solicitor to age as accords a scots law phrase of no very determinate import meaning generally to do what is fitting the scheme as we have seen was partially successful and was only ultimately defeated as he confessed to himself with shame by his own very unbusiness-like mistake of shuffling the provost's letter 
in the hurry and anxiety of the morning among some papers belonging to peter peebles affairs and then handing it to his son without observing the blunder he used to protest even till the end of his death that he never had been guilty of such an inaccuracy as giving a paper out of his hand without looking at the docketing except on that unhappy occasion when of all others he had such particular reason to regret his negligence disturbed by these recollections the old gentleman had for the first time in his life some disinclination arising from shame and vexation to face his own son so that to protract for a little the meeting which he feared would be a painful one he went to wait upon the sheriff depute who he found had set off for dumfries in great haste to superintend in person the investigation which had been set on foot by his substitute this gentleman's clerk could say little on the subject of the riot excepting that it had been serious much damage done to property and some personal violence offered to individuals but as far as he had yet heard no lives lost on the spot mr fairford was compelled to return home with this intelligence and on inquiring at james wilkinson where his son was received for answer that master allan was in his own room and very busy we must have our explanation over said saunders fairford to himself better a finger off as i wagging and going to the door of his son's apartment he knocked at first gently then more loudly but received no answer somewhat alarmed at this silence he opened the door of the chamber it was empty clothes lay mixed in confusion with the law-books and papers as if the inmate had been engaged in hastily packing for a journey as mr fairford looked around in alarm his eye was arrested by a sealed letter lying upon his son's writing-table and addressed to himself it contained the following words my dearest father you will not i trust be surprised nor perhaps very much displeased to learn that i am on my way to dumfrieshire to learn by my own personal investigation the present state of my dear friend and afford him such relief as may be in my power and which i trust will be effectual i do not presume to reflect upon you dearest sir for concealing from me information of so much consequence to my peace of mind and happiness but i hope your having done so will be if not an excuse at least some mitigation of my present offence in taking a step of consequence without consulting your pleasure and i must further own under circumstances which perhaps might lead to your disapprobation of my purpose i can only say in further apology that if anything unhappy which heaven forbid shall have occurred to the person who next to yourself is dearest to me in this world i shall have on my heart 
as a subject of eternal regret that being in a certain degree warned of his danger and furnished with the means of obviating it i did not instantly hasten to his assistance but preferred giving my attention to the business of this unlucky morning no view of personal distinction nothing indeed short of your earnest and often expressed wishes could have detained me in town till this day and having made this sacrifice to filial duty i trust you will hold me excused if i now obey the calls of friendship and humanity do not be in the least anxious on my account i shall know i trust how to conduct myself with due caution in any emergence which may occur otherwise my legal studies for so many years have been to little purpose i am fully provided with money and also with arms in case of need but you may rely on my prudence in avoiding all occasions of using the latter short of the last necessity god almighty bless you my dearest father and grant that you may forgive the first and i trust the last act approaching towards premeditated disobedience of which i either have now or shall hereafter have to accuse myself i remain till death your dutiful and affectionate son allan fairford p s i shall write with the utmost regularity acquainting you with my motions and requesting your advice i trust my stay will be very short and i think it possible that i may bring back darcy along with me the paper dropped from the old man's hand when he was thus assured of the misfortune which he apprehended his first idea was to get a post-chaise and pursue the fugitive but he recollected that upon the very rare occasions when allan had shown himself indocile to the patria potestas his natural ease and gentleness of disposition seemed hardened into obstinacy and that now entitled as arrived at the years of majority and a member of the learned faculty to direct his own motions there was great doubt whether in the event of his overtaking his son he might be able to prevail upon him to return back in such a risk of failure he thought it wiser to desist from his purpose especially as even his success in such a pursuit would give a ridiculous eclat to the whole affair and which could not be otherwise than prejudicial to his son's rising character bitter however were saunders fairford's reflections as again picking up the fatal scroll he threw himself into his son's leathern easy-chair and bestowed upon it a disjointed commentary bring back darcy little doubt of that the bad shilling is sure enough to come back again i wish darcy no worse ill than that he were carried where the silly fool allan should never see him again it was an ill hour that he darkened my doors in for ever since that allan has given up his own old-fashioned mother-wit for the t'other's caponoided maggots and nonsense 
provided with money you must have more than i know of then my friend for i trow i kept you pretty short for your own good can he have gotten more fees or does he think five guineas has neither beginning nor end arms what would he do with arms or what would any man do with them that is not a regular soldier under government or else a thief-taker i have had enough of arms i trow although i carried them for king george and the government but this is a worse trait than falkirk field yet god guide us we are poor inconsistent creatures to think the lad should have made so able an appearance and then bolted off this gate after a glaikit ne'er-do-well like a hound upon a false scent lass a day it's a sore thing to see a stunkard cow kick down the pail when it's reaming foe but after all it's an ill bird that defiles its own nest i must cover up the scandal as well as i can what's the matter now james a message sir said james wilkinson from my lord president and he hopes mr allan is not seriously indisposed from the lord president the lord preserve us i'll send an answer this instant bid the lad sit down and ask him to drink james let me see continued he taking a sheet of gilt paper how we are to draw our answers ere his pen had touched the paper james was in the room again what now james lord bladderskate's lad is come to ask how mr allan is as he left the court ay 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 answered saunders bitterly he has even made a moonlight flitting like my lord's own navoy shall i say so sir said james who as an old soldier was literal in all things touching the service the devil no no bid the lad sit down and taste our ale i will write his lordship an answer once more the gilt paper was resumed and once more the door was opened by james lord sends his servitor to ask after mr allan oh the devil take their civility said poor saunders set him down to drink too i will write to his lordship the lads will bide your pleasure sir as long as i keep the bicker full but this ringing is like to wear out the bell i think there they are at it again he answered the fresh summons accordingly and came back to inform mr fairford that the dean of faculty was below inquiring for mr allan will i set him down to drink too said james will you be an idiot sir said mr fairford show mr dean into the parlour in going slowly downstairs step by step the perplexed man of business had time enough to reflect that if it be possible to put a fair gloss upon a true story the verity always serves the purpose better than any substitute which ingenuity can devise he therefore told his learned visitor that although his son had been incommoded by the heat of the court and the long train of hard study by day and night 
preceding his exertions yet he had fortunately so far recovered as to be in condition to obey upon the instant a sudden summons which had called him to the country on a matter of life and death it should be a serious matter indeed that takes my young friend away at this moment said the good-natured dean i wish he had stayed to finish his pleading and put down old tough without compliment mr fairford it was as fine a first appearance as i ever heard i should be sorry your son did not follow it up in a reply nothing like striking while the iron is hot mr saunders fairford made a bitter grimace as he acquiesced in an opinion which was indeed decidedly his own but he thought it most prudent to reply that the affair which rendered his son allan's presence in the country absolutely necessary regarded the affairs of a young gentleman of great fortune who was a particular friend of allan's and who never took any material step in his affairs without consulting his counsel learned in the law well well mr fairford you know best answered the learned dean if there be death or marriage in the case a will or a wedding is to be preferred to all other business i am happy mr allan is so much recovered as to be able for travel and wish you a very good morning having thus taken his ground to the dean of faculty mr fairford hastily wrote cards in answer to the inquiry of the three judges accounting for allan's absence in this same manner these being properly sealed and addressed he delivered to james with directions to dismiss the party-coloured gentry who in the meanwhile had consumed a gallon of twopenny ale while discussing points of law and addressing each other by their masters titles the scottish judges are distinguished by the title of lord prefixed to their own temporal designation as the ladies of these official dignitaries do not bear any share in their husband's honours they are distinguished only by their lord's family name they were not always contented with this species of salique law which certainly is somewhat inconsistent but their pretensions to title are said to have been long since repelled by james v the sovereign who founded the college of justice i said he made the carries lords but who the devil made the carlines ladies the exertion which these matters demanded and the interest which so many persons of legal distinction appeared to have taken in his son greatly relieved the oppressed spirit of saunders fairford who continued to talk mysteriously of the very important business which had interfered with his son's attendance during the brief remainder of the session he endeavoured to lay the same unction to his own heart but here the application was less fortunate for his conscience told him that no end however important which could be achieved in darcy latimer's affairs could be balanced against the reputation which allan was like to forfeit 
by deserting the cause of poor peter peebles in the meanwhile although the haze which surrounded the cause or causes of that unfortunate litigant had been for a time dispelled by allan's eloquence like a fog by the thunder of artillery yet it seemed once more to settle down upon the mass of litigation thick as the palpable darkness of egypt at the very sound of mr tuff's voice who on the second day after allan's departure was heard in answer to the opening council deep-mouthed long-breathed and pertinacious taking a pinch of snuff betwixt every sentence which otherwise seemed interminable the veteran pleader prosed over all the themes which had been treated so luminously by fairford he quietly and imperceptibly replaced all the rubbish which the other had cleared away and succeeded in restoring the veil of obscurity and unintelligibility which had for many years darkened the case of peebles against plainstains and the matter was once more hung up by a remit to an accountant with instruction to report before answer so different a result from that which the public had been led to expect from allan's speech gave rise to various speculations the client himself opined that it was entirely owing first to his own absence during the first day's pleading being as he said debauched with brandy uscabaw and other strong waters at john's coffee-house per ambages of peter drudgeot employed to that effect by and through the device counsel and covine of saunders fairford his agent or pretended agent secondly by the flight and voluntary desertion of the younger advocate on account of which he served both father and son with a petition and complaint against them for malversion in office so that the apparent and most probable issue of this cause seemed to menace the melancholy mr saunders fairford with additional subject for plague and mortification which was the more galling as his conscience told him that the case was really given away and that a very brief resumption of the former argument with reference to the necessary authorities and points of evidence would have enabled allan by the mere breath as it were of his mouth to blow away the various cobwebs with which mr toff had again invested the proceedings but it went he said just like a decreet in absence and was lost for want of a contradictor in the meanwhile nearly a week passed over without mr fairford hearing a word directly from his son he learned indeed by a letter from mr crosby that the young counsellor had safely reached dumfries but had left that town upon some ulterior researches the purpose of which he had not communicated the old man thus left to suspense and to mortifying recollections deprived also of the domestic society to which he had been habituated began to suffer in body 
as well as in mind he had formed the determination of setting out in person for dumfrieshire when after having been dogged peevish and snappish to his clerks and domestics to an unusual and almost intolerable degree the acrimonious humours settled in a hissing hot fit of the gout which is a well-known tamer of the most froward spirits and under whose discipline we shall for the present leave him as the continuation of this history assumes with the next division a form somewhat different from direct narrative and epistolary correspondence though partaking of the character of both End of chapter two